Hey, everybody. So the vending machine gives you two candy bars, right? What do you do? Do you call somebody to, you know, hey, I got one candy bar too many to get it back? Do you just eat it, walk away, call it karma? Or do you give it to someone else? Or do you just, you know, chalk yourself up as lucky and just, I don't know, walk away? Remember, last time the vending company didn't make it easy for you to give the money back anyway. So what do you do? We're talking ethical dilemmas right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Addressing the U.N. conference, President Barack Obama is trying to bring the worldwide community together against human trafficking. The president says when workers are locked in a sweatshop or girls as young as his are forced to work the sex trade, that's slavery, not a term he uses lightly. It is barbaric and it is evil and it has no place in a civilized world. Speaking at the Clinton Global Initiative, Obama said America will step up its human trafficking enforcement and he praised faith groups for aiding the fight. But Obama says the world must also call out the worst offenders like North Korea and Eritrea, declaring people are not for sale. Mark Smith with the President, New York. The U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case involving blood tests and people police suspect of drunk driving. At issue is whether law enforcement officers must first get a warrant before they order a blood test on somebody suspected of drunk driving who doesn't want to submit to such a test. Missouri's highest court sided with the defendant in ruling the police do need a warrant unless there are special circumstances where a delay would be life-threatening or would destroy evidence. Other courts have ruled police do not have to take the time to get a warrant because a delay would lower the level of alcohol in the suspect's blood. Jerry Bodlander, Washington. In what could prove to be a significant sign of economic recovery, home prices nationwide are increasing. Home prices rose again nationwide in July with more sales and fewer foreclosures. Wells Fargo senior economist Mark Vidner says it's more evidence of a broad-based trend. In recent months, particularly the last three months, we've seen solid improvement across the country. The Case-Shiller Index shows home prices were up 1.2% in July for the second straight year-over-year gain after two years without one and the third straight month in which prices rose in every city tracked by the index. The worst is clearly behind us. But Vidner cautions the beleaguered housing sector won't return to normal for several more years. We're going to get there. It's just going to take a little more time. David Melendi, Washington. Other economic indicators are on the rise as well. One consumer confidence index has reached its seven-month high. The conference board's Lynn Franco says the private research group's consumer confidence index surged to 70.3 from 61.3 in August, which was revised higher. Franco says it's the highest level since February. This is good news. It appears that the economy remains on track. The confidence boost was bolstered by a brighter hiring outlook. Franco notes the upbeat trend is nice because the future is uncertain given the recent history of the index. Which has been a very bumpy and choppy uh, ride for several years now. The indicator is watched closely because consumer spending drives nearly 70 percent of economic activity. I'm David Melendi. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show every uh, day of the week uh, to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives healthier, happier relationships. And today, 
We're tackling a big one. Okay, are you ready? You've all been dying for this one, and I know you get this question a lot. In fact, Skyler, my uh, my board operator here, he gets it every day. And we, we're tired of him just embarrassing himself and us. So we're going to answer it for him. When somebody comes up to you and says, Does, do these pants make me look fat? What do you, what do you say, Sky? Um, I always say no. No, the, pat, the pants don't make you look fat. Yeah, Your fat makes you look fat. fat. <laughs> okay, so that's rude. Okay, you're just fat. That is okay, Sky. We're here to fix you, brother. Okay. I need okay. Help. What about this one? What if there is this girl you're dating that is just so in love with you? She wants happens you. a lot. It happens oh, a lot. Does it happen a lot? <laughs> wow, you're getting yeah. cocky. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, so she really wants you. And you just, you know, uh, you don't want to spend like she's and she's got a date, an opportunity for you to go see a game, BYU game. Okay. BYU, Notre Dame, you got to fly with it. No, BYU, some game. Okay. Tickets, great seats, wants you to go, but you know, you're going to have to spend some money. You're probably going to have to buy her a pizza okay. and you're going to have to have, make it a date. But you don't want to go with her. I don't want to go but with you her. Want but I to want to go. go to the game. Yes. Okay. What do you do? Whew. I would I would probably go to the game. <laughs> you'd go to the game or you'd go on the date with this lovely lady? I'd, I'd go for the game, honestly. I don't know. <laughs> would, you, would you talk to her still? At, Afterwards? Uh, no, uh, during the oh, game. Oh, during would the you game? Like, yeah, I'd be nice. I'd try to be nice, but be, I, I would go. Yeah, I'd definitely go Would you game. feel guilty? Because that seems rude. It seems um, like you're just well, using Well, her. she wants me to come, so like... So you're just helping. I'm just helping, yeah. And she's helping you. So maybe that's not an ethical dilemma. Yeah, it's a win-win. We're going to bring on Catherine Allen, our resident ethicist. Ha <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not. But Catherine, um, she's one of our producers, and she she's in charge of today's topic, and she um, she brought up a good one. Ethical dilemmas. Okay, and we're going to be bringing on an expert. And the expert, we'll let Jeff Thompson, who's a professor here and um, expert in ethics and business, and he's a PhD, organizational development expert. But here's the deal. Um, Catherine took a class with him. And in the class, Catherine, he gave you a scenario. Uh-huh. Fill us in. And we're going to go around and see what we would all do with this dilemma. Ethical Dilemma 101. Okay, so picture this. You just went skiing for the day, and you bought an all-day ski pass. But you have to come off the mountain at like 4 o'clock. So the pass is still good until like 8 o'clock when they close the park. And as you're coming down the mountain, you're walking to your car, and you run into your boss's boss. Oh. And what does he ask you? He asks if you can use, if he can use your ski pass, because, you know, it's still good for another four hours. So what do you do? Do you let him have the pass, or... Do you tell him no and make him buy his own pass for the day? Oh, that's a good one. Huh. Well, now let's think this through. What's the harm? What's the harm, Catherine? Just sure. He's my boss's boss. I'm trying to move up. I want... What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, is that fair to the ski resort? Oh, but they already shafted me earlier by charging me way too much <laughs> money. So I'm already kind of mad. Okay. But then if I give it, then what am I t- – what if it's a test? What if my boss's boss is just testing my ethics? It could be a test. Hmm. Sky, what would you do? Um, my, my gut reaction would just be to give it to him. I don't know. I kind of think of it's like the same when you buy like a, like a drink, like a soda from a fast food place and then you get free refills and you give it to like your buddy. 
Yeah. Even though they didn't pay for it. So you drink as much as you want and then you let your buddy have and then the your car. buddy gives it to his buddy. And, he gives, and then and then they close the Carl's Jr. Exactly. by your house. <laughs> the, the cost of ethics. Uh, who else, Rob? What's your take on this? this? Way too complicated here. What do you do? You're walking down the mountain. You see your boss's boss. He wants your pass. He's just going to lie to him. Oh, no, I'm coming back later. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm just walking out of my car. So you fix the ethical dilemma and you with can a do, lie. The truth is you can do the same thing, Sky, with the uh, soft drink, too. You, know, you, you refill the thing with... Soda or whatever you're sitting there. Oh man, can I have the rest of your soda? No, I'm going to drink it later. No, you don't say that. You say, you "Sure, I just have a cold sore, but whatever." <laughs> <laughs> and then no, no one will go near your drink ever again. Uh, what would you say, Madison? You over there? What's your take on this? Uh, this is your boss's boss, so it's not even your boss, and you know, but it is probably your hope of any future in the business. Um, I kind of go with Sky. My gut reaction would be just to give him the ski pass, just sure. because I'm. A giving person, and I and think that immoral. the ski resort. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny; you may not even think of it as a more. I mean, sure, whatever. Yeah, I bought it. Yeah, it's my value. Just take my value. That's kind of what I would think of it as. I wouldn't think of, oh, I'm hitting the ski resort. Yeah. Bad. I would just think, oh, yeah, I'm helping them out. You know. You guys are evil. <laughs> this scares me. What's the right answer, Catherine? There really isn't a right answer. No, tell us the right one. No, I I don't know the right one. The right one's whatever <sighs> is right for you. Man. Well, what would be right for me is if the ski resort gave away free passes. Well, that would be nice. That would be right for everyone, I'm sure. Do they do that? <laughs> is, your, is your boss over 80? Because I think they get free ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to ask? Is it ethical to ask your boss if he's over 80? <laughs> your boss's <laughs> well, boss. Well, that's a whole other question. Yeah. What if you know he is, but he's lying? Um, so it's an, interesting, it's an interesting dilemma. And I think uh, today Dr. Jeff Thompson is going to help us break through. Do you think, Catherine? What's going to happen? What do you think he would say? It could, would just channel say? a little Dr. Thompson for us. Oh, I don't know if I can. He's brilliant. <laughs> He's brilliant. What would he say? Now, would he say, Catherine, would he start asking you questions about mm-hmm. your own morality, your own what your own values are? Well, he'd question, is? yeah. So um, he'd ask me to question my assumptions. What assumptions am I making in this situation? Am I, you know, I'm saying, oh, this this person really can help me in the long run. Yeah. I want I want to do him a favor. Or am I saying, you know, I want to be the right ethical, maybe maybe not ethical person, but I want to be right by the ski resort, um, you know, as part of what I paid. Mm-hmm. I kind of promised that only I would use this pass. Yeah. So am I lying to the ski resort, this third party that I don't really care about, but I promised that I would just use the pass and not give it to someone else? It's interesting. It might even change. I wonder what happens to us when we think we could get caught. Like, this is in the parking lot at a ski resort. We might figure, whatever, I'm out of here. They well, and you care. wouldn't even get caught. It would be yeah. your boss, right? That's true. And, who, you know, whatever. Um, but if you knew you could get caught, does that change it? Like, does that change? If you knew you could walk out of a store with a headset you wanted or an earbuds or whatever that you wanted, would you walk out knowing you could do it without getting caught? Hmm. Sky, <laughs> Sky's got a look on his face. Steal, like, oh, for steal sure. the headphones? Well, borrow them <laughs> indefinitely. You're talking headphones. I'm picturing a headboard for a bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you, if you could get away with it, do you get away with it? With stealing? Uh huh. Um, well, I mean, I think. Well, if you're going to call it stealing, Wait, I so wouldn't call it stealing. I would call borrowing. it. You're borrowing because they have bad security. Oh, and then. Which is totally different. I don't know. I think I think it's harder, like, if it's, like, a physical thing that you can hold and you're, like, taking it out and leaving yeah. it and not bringing it back, it's harder to, to versus, do that. Versus with a the beverage. Pass, or, like, with the pass. 
You know, that's yeah. not like a thing that you're actually physically taking with you. So, Oh, my heavens. This is complicated. Catherine Allen, thanks for setting us up. We are going to be coming back with Jeff Thompson, Dr. Jeff Thompson from Brigham Young University. Uh, he has a Ph.D. in organizational behavior. He's an associate professor here on campus. And he is going to sort it out for us. How do you make your way through these ethical decisions? Usually you'll find out it's not the it's not like good versus evil usually. It's usually good ideas or good things versus even better things that make the decisions even more difficult. We'll be picking through it right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A piece of Apollo-era technology is still saving lives every day. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Sailors the world over have a common link to the Apollo astronauts. They all rely on a life raft design first pioneered by NASA for returning moon explorers. The Apollo moon capsules returned to Earth by splashing down in the ocean. Then the astronauts got out of their capsule and into an inflated raft before being picked up by helicopters. The conditions at sea could be very violent, and just the rotor wash from the rescue helicopters could capsize a conventional raft. But a NASA design innovation from a team at the Johnson Space Center created pockets under the raft that used the surrounding seawater as free ballast, greatly stabilizing the raft without adding any weight to it for flight. They called it a hydrodynamically ballasted stabilization system. A private raft maker leased the design from NASA, and the thousands of rafts made with this feature over the years have saved more than 450 sailors to date. The rafts have stayed upright in waves as high as 32 feet and 195 knot winds, using the weight of trapped water as ballast. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU's record label, Tantara Records, has recorded some of the best musical performances both on and off BYU's campus. Join host Ron Simpson for behind-the-scenes musical exclusives and intimate outtakes. Tune into the Tantara Hour with Ron Simpson, weekdays at 10 a.m. at 8 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're talking ethics and managing the ethical dilemmas of your life. We're bringing on Dr. Jeff Thompson, associate professor at BYU. Uh, now, Dr. Thompson is, he likes to be called the man, the myth, the ethical legend. <laughs> Not really. That's you the first time I've heard Jeff. that one. <laughs> now, Jeff's sporting a little black eye from a little uh, racquetball accident. Were you cheating, Jeff, during that? No, I stepped in front of my uh, my opponent's oh, backswing. So was, was he backswinging? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's why racquetballs kill you. It'll kill you every time. Uh, we're talking about ethics. And um, who better to do it than you, Dr. Thompson? You have a Ph.D. in organizational behavior. You also um, teach business ethics and organizational behavior classes. And 
And uh, Catherine here thinks you're the bomb as far as <laughs> ethics is concerned. Well, she was a smart student. Was well, she? Yeah. She's just. A, that's why we have her on our team. She's the smartest. <laughs> and you're, you and your wife Amy have four kids, so you, nobody knows ethics better than you. Because <laughs> you know, my big ethical dilemma is: is it wrong to tell my kids to tell everybody I'm not home when they call? Mm. We'll get to that one later. But uh, before we do, you have – you're the one. This was your problem. Going to the ski resort, boss kind of wanted your – Yeah, I'm a little sheepish about this because this is my story. This might be too close to home. Uh, No, it's – I'm happy to talk about it. In fact, I share it with my students because it's – you know, you learn from your mistakes. And I didn't didn't necessarily do a great job. I'd like to say this was my boss's boss. Yeah. It was a total stranger that walked up to me on the ski resort. Really? Yeah. He was a young man, looked – pretty sharp. I thought he was probably a former student because he greeted me like he knew me. And so I immediately wanted to be friendly and struck up a conversation. He said, hey, you're leaving. I said, yeah, I got to go. And he said, "Um, hey, so your pass isn't, uh, you've still got your pass, you know, can, do you mind if I take that? And I wasn't expecting that question. I guess, uh, uh, sure. Sure. Do you want my coat? Do you need a coat? (laughs) Immediately he pulls out a pair of scissors, clips off the pass, takes it and he's gone in a second. And I just realized at that moment, I've been scammed. Yeah. And then I sat there and thought, wait a minute. I teach ethics. Yeah. I represent something you at BYU. It shouldn't happen to me. And and I just sat there and puzzled about how I let something like this happen. I'm a business professor. I believe in the right of a business to determine yeah. how it uh, how it uh, uh, sets its policies for its products. I had basically signed an agreement when I bought the pass that I would use it myself. And so I broke trust with the organization right. I was contracting yeah. with. And all of these thoughts are going through my head. And I thought, wow, this is... This is fascinating. Was for it just because it was all so fast? Is it you weren't processing? I mean, you know, that because it might take a while to process all that. Well, that's the thing. Ethical dilemmas are difficult when they take us by surprise. Uh-huh. Um, if I'd had time to reason through it, I might have. I'm pretty sure I would have come yeah, up you with a different solution. Right. But the point was, I wasn't prepared for it. It was a scenario I'd never thought of. I had no response time. And so I responded in a way that I wasn't terribly proud of. Now, I've been able to make that a teaching moment. Learning I hope moment, some of my students though. will right. do a better job and stand up for themselves. But at that moment, I had to ask myself, who, who am I? And I hadn't lived up to the person that I intend to be. Right. What, just in a nutshell, what is an ethical dilemma? So make it easy for all of us. Ethics just is com- – it sounds complicated, but what is it? Well – it is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is. Uh, ethical dilemmas are con- complicated. I don't think um, ethics in general is complicated. We try to prepare our children with rules that they can live by. Don't tell a lie. Don't steal. Right. Don't hurt people. And those rules get us by through much of life. But what uh, happens when well. they like the don't tell a lie and don't hurt a person exactly. align? That's a... Yeah. And we call those right versus right dilemmas. Uh-huh. When you have to choose between two principles, two rights, or maybe even you have to choose between two un, unfavorable, so uh-huh. two bad choices. Those are, that's what a dilemma is. That's, that's a character-defining dilemma when you have to make a choice between competing principles. That requires a lot of reflection. Okay. Because we have got – we've got a little test for you. Are you oh, ready? Oh, great. We have a we, – we put together a little video or an audio piece here by one of our producers, Rob Sanders, about an ethical dilemma that, that – his take on, an, on a dilemma, okay? Now, it's basically about online piracy. Mm-hmm. Downloads. Okay. The simple answer is online piracy is wrong, obviously, but our producer Rob Sanders doesn't think it's that simple. 1998. 
the economy was doing great. Japan fold off another fantastic Olympic Games in Nagano. Two nerdy PhD candidates had this goofy startup called Google, and America was getting online, which had copyright holders and publishers worried. This whole internet thing. Somebody could infringe our work, give it away, face no penalties whatsoever. So quickly and unanimously, the U.S. Senate passed the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Basically, it rubber-stamped 20th century copyright laws onto the 21st century internet. Done! Whew. Now back to the party on Wall Street, right? Seriously, though, copyright infringement was becoming a pretty big deal by 1998, and I'm ashamed to admit I was part of it. I was one of those thoughtless, selfish nerds who downloaded MIDI files. You remember those electric pianos that had the disk drive in them? One of those files. And record labels were quite concerned that guys like me would no longer go buy records when I can listen to this. Jam out to this all day long. Who needs the Ghostbusters soundtrack? So as the record label began squashing down on MIDI files, a new problem popped up. It was called Napster. And soon people were swapping MP3 files from my computer to yours, peer-to-peer. And this stuff you could actually stand to listen to. It almost sounded like the CD. Which worked fine until Metallica went onto Napster and found a song they hadn't even released yet was floating around across thousands of computers. So they called up Dr. Dre, and he wasn't happy to hear his music on there either. So they teamed up and sued Napster. And ultimately, Napster was defeated soundly and shut down. It's like chopping the head off the beast. Did you ever see the Disney movie Hercules? You know that scene where Hercules keeps chopping heads off of the mythological Hydra, and they just keep growing more and more heads? But before the lawyers could pop the cork on their victory toast of shutting down Napster, two new services had popped up. So they shut those down. And four more popped up. Shut them down. Eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, I exaggerate. But eventually it ended up with this completely decentralized system called BitTorrents, which can't be shut down because there's no central hub to shut down. So somebody within the legal department must have finally channeled Danny DeVito's role in Hercules when he shouts, Will you forget about the head-slicing thing? Yes, indeed! Because by this point, it was 2005, everybody had high-speed internet in their house, and it was a freeway for piracy, where it used to take 15 minutes just to download one song. Now in 15 minutes, you could download a movie. Like Disney's Hercules. <laughs> so instead of fighting the pirates the big publishers decided to embrace the pirates. People wanted to put music on their MP3 player? All right. The big labels made a deal with Apple, which severely cut into their CD sales. But the iTunes store was born. People wanted to listen to free music at work? They inked deals with Spotify, Mog, and Pandora, which let guys like me listen to music for free as long as I'm willing to put up with a few ads. TV networks saw viewers dumping their shows wholesale onto YouTube. So instead of spending billions of dollars suing Google, Fox, NBC, and Disney teamed up to create a new site called Hulu, which gave viewers a similar experience that the pirates had. Yeah, piracy is pretty much illegal, and it's a much easier case to argue that it's unethical. But I just can't help but wonder if it wasn't for those nerds living in their parents' basement, living off Cheetos... The ones who know the cutting edge of where technology is going and make it happen, piracy or not, I really think we'd all still be going out to the CD store, going over to the video store, and watching TV shows on a staticky old screen. 
Rob Sanders there reporting K-Doc. So, I mean, you know, ends justifies the means. <laughs> Machiavelli, right? What uh, – because it really is. All of a sudden, a little piracy created a little opportunity and maybe shifted the market and uh, ethical dilemma or not. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a really good one, actually. And uh, it's a great example of how changing technologies introduces new gray areas into yeah. our world. We, there's this human tendency when circumstances change to kind of assume that now all bets are off. Right. So and here's an example. There's a blackout in the inner city. You suddenly st- see people that are normally law-abiding citizens breaking into stores yeah, and stealing a it. TV because the lights, are out. the lights are out. Things have changed. Yeah. The rules must have changed because the world has changed. Uh, it's that same sort of mentality that allows us to say, well, since this is a new area, new technology, um, maybe it's not so bad if I just kind of – you know, slip this in my pocket or, that, or yeah. download a file. Uh, clearly not the same level of gravity, but it's the same mental process. Right. Well, interestingly, too, I guess it's um, just because the game has changed doesn't mean your values should have. Or well, your, you know what I mean? Your, your, your beliefs. That comes back to the question I was asking myself standing on that key slo- ski yeah. slope. Wait a minute. Who am I? Yeah. And, and to me, who am I? is the integrity question. Usually when we get into an ethical dilemma, the first thing we ask is, what should I do? Right. What, what should, how should I act? And that doesn't serve much of a guide. But if we go back to the integrity question and say, wait, who, who am I? What do I stand for? Then in the case of, uh, you know, whether it's a blackout or technology change and suddenly you have an opportunity to steal files, you can say, no, as I consult my yeah. values this is the person I want to be, and I'll act accordingly. So it really kind of is like your true north. You have this. You have something that can always be your compass, other than just the waves or the winds of the world. Right? Those winds are pretty unreliable. You don't oh, know where they're going to take you. So if you sure. don't have an anchor, then you don't really know who you are. Because first you're stealing files, then you're stealing hubcaps, like Rob out, out in the parking lot. <laughs> Rob, what's now, your take? Let's be fair. There was a time, and I, I don't know my European history, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. When I think they said it was illegal to have a copy of the Bible in your house, mm-hmm. people yeah. pirated the Bible. You know what? The world was a better place after that. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of looking out. at it. It's not necessarily a blackout. It's not like the internet's this new fad and then it's going to go away next week and the power will come back on and we'll all go back to buying stuff in the CD stores. It's just the world has permanently changed, and we're trying to fit an old enforcement. I'm not saying get rid of all enforcement and all intellectual property. I'm just saying. We got to really rethink how we, you know, how creators make their money because the old way of where you put the paywall on a selling a CD doesn't well, really work when the distribution's free. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, we need to be careful not to confuse the law with ethics because there are certainly laws that are unethical. <laughs> And um, we sort of hammer out laws as a kind of social contract to get us by. Yeah. But those principles uh, that uh, that guide us might be the same principle that caused someone to say, I know it's illegal to have the Bible in my home, but my driving value is that this law needs to be changed. And so I'm going to be a conscientious uh, objector. Object. Hopefully in that case, you're, uh, you're, you're crusading for your cause rather than just, uh, just you know. Downloading files right. or the Bible. <laughs> I, I think that's – it's interesting. I guess that's a different role, huh? Now you're a conscientious objector who's literally in a movement, not just a user. 
taking. It's yeah. a big deal because as somebody that's created a book or other content, to think of it going out there and having people just taking it, that's such a violation. Well, and it undermines – yeah, we can all do it, right? It, sure. It undermines uh, the artistic process. What is the incentive then for people to enter this yeah. uh, this profession, this arena, if there's not a, a guarantee that they can make an honest living from what they contribute? Right. Oh, good stuff. Okay, we are going to take a break with Dr. Jeff Thompson talking integrity and ethical dilemmas. When we come back, we're going to learn how to take a dilemma and, uh, I guess, straighten it out a little bit, how to get integrity involved and get a little clarity on our dilemmas. We are uh, talking ethics right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Are there some global issues you wish you could know more about or get an inside perspective on? Notes from the Kennedy Center presents lectures and seminars from international diplomats and scholars discussing issues and events from all over the world. For the first time, the number of AIDS deaths in the world declined. Become a more informed global citizen and tune in to Notes from the Kennedy Center, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The Syrian conflict is one of the most discussed topics this year at the UN General Assembly. A parade of speakers on the first day of the United Nations General Assembly denounced the Security Council deadlock that has kept the UN from acting in the Syrian crisis. Nearly 30,000 have died in 18 months, French President Francois Hollande said, speaking through a UN interpreter. How many more deaths will we wait for before we act? I know one thing is certain. The Syrian regime will never again take its place in the concert of nations. It has no future among us. Russia and China have vetoed three council resolutions aimed at sanctioning the Assad government. They say the measures did not take into account the responsibility of the government's opponents for the violence. Warren Levinson, New York. President Barack Obama is warning Muslim countries that no amount of anger over a video can justify violence against U.S. interests. The president used his annual U.N. General Assembly speech to portray a Muslim world at a crossroads. One way, he says, lies rage and despair. The other, openness and tolerance. We must speak honestly about the deeper causes of the crisis because we face a choice between the forces that would drive us apart and the hopes that we hold in common. Obama says while he understands Muslims find a video mocking the Prophet Muhammad insulting, bloodshed like the assault that killed America's ambassador to Libya is unacceptable and an attack on the UN's founding principles. Mark Smith with the President, New York. The president has also been speaking about other problems in the Middle East, warning Iranian officials that their nuclear program needs to come to an end. These were the president's bluntest words yet from a U.N. rostrum. Iran must halt a program that appears headed for a bomb. America wants to resolve this issue through diplomacy, and we believe that there is still time and space to do so. But that time is not unlimited. Obama said a nuclear-armed Iran would not only threaten Israel and the Gulf states, it could trigger a Mideast arms race and shake the global economy. And he says America will do what it must to prevent that. Mark Smith with the President, New York. One of the most bizarre apps ever came out today for iPad. Its target audience? Neuroscientists. Albert Einstein's brain can now be downloaded as an app for $9.99. 
The exclusive iPad application comes out today. It promises to make detailed images of Einstein's brain tissue more accessible to scientists than ever before. After Einstein died in 1955, an autopsy was performed, removing the great man's brain in hopes that future researchers could discover the secrets behind his genius. The new iPad app may allow researchers to dig even deeper by looking for brain regions where the neurons are more densely connected than normal. I'm Brian Thomas. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking ethical dilemmas. How do you work your way through them? How do you, uh, you know, just not start, what's the word, um... Oh, what's it called with your ethics when you just start compromising, compromising yeah. them and letting them alter and change? Situational. Hmm. When we start making our ethics dependent on every situation instead of something deeper. We're talking to Dr. Jeff Thompson, associate professor at Brigham Young University. He works and teaches ethics, business ethics at Brigham Young and organizational behavior courses in our business school here. And, uh, you know, it's ethics can just get pie in the sky. You can almost just imagine a bunch of philosophers out there, you know, through spewing stuff. But how do you keep it practical and, I guess, real, ethical? I mean, it's there's some there's a real consequence to a lot of these decisions. Yeah, for sure. Well, the philosophers do teach us a lot about how to think about ethical issues. And so it's sort of a challenge sometimes to translate those yeah. into day-to-day practice. But it, it, it can be done. I'll spare you the lecture. You know, you can <laughs> sign up for my class. Why and are you wearing a robe? A <laughs> but uh, th- there are some practical lessons I've learned as a teacher and yeah. as someone who consults and talks with people who have faced ethical dilemmas. One of the practical pieces of advice I always give is wherever possible, try to buy time. Yeah. Um, and that's what I needed on the ski slope right. example. I needed a chance to reflect on who I am. And sometimes when a, when an ethical dilemma takes us by surprise, we need to just create some space that allow us to allows us to reflect and start asking questions of I ourselves. I love that. Another practical piece I would give is when we face an ethical dilemma, usually what we want is a quick answer. We want yeah. easy answers to Boom. solve the that's problem. Right. Ethics, it turns out, is more about the questions you ask than the answers you get. So when I'm facing an ethical dilemma, I try to think at it from multiple angles. I try to challenge Which my is why you need the time, right? It's why you need the time. Um, and, and we need to prepare our children for that as well. Sometimes I think as parents, we like to give easy answers when our kids are struggling with right, an issue. Right. That doesn't really prepare them for the reality of the world. I think it's, it's better as, as parents if we say, let's look at this from multiple angles. What about this? What about that? And allow them to work through The world's messy. It is messy. And we try to like Brady Bunch it and get it in an hour or whatever <laughs> long that show was and, and just get a good happy ending at the end. It and doesn't always work that way. there isn't an easy happy ending. Mm-mm. Sometimes uh, you'll find yourself in a situation where doing the right thing is going to hurt people. Yeah. Or where – Or um, you. Or, or, or you. And uh, you won't necessarily be whistling a happy tune as the episode ends mm-hmm. on that particular ethical dilemma. One more practical piece of advice I like to give. Um, we try to train our students not to be ethical mavericks. And by that I mean <laughs> we tend to be self-sufficient. Yeah. Sometimes we think, oh, this is a dilemma. I can handle it. Um, the principle of counseling. Love um, it. 
uh, speaking with your spouse, bouncing your ideas off of other people. We make better ethical judgments mm-hmm. when we have a chance to hear what other people say. Now, it doesn't mean that we just bend to their will, but it allows us to think about a problem from more angles, consider more constituents, have you, consider more oh, outcomes. I love that. Have you heard of clearing committees uh, in the Quaker faith? Have you ever heard of that? I don't know about that. Oh, yet. it's so cool. So if somebody has a dilemma... Like, should I take this job or this job? They call in a group. They call, I think they called it the Clearing Committee. And it's just a bunch of elders from the Quaker faith. And the elders sit in a circle with the person that has the dilemma. And all they can do is ask questions, back to your questions issue. Mm. And they just, they're not allowed to ask leading questions. Like, isn't it true that you would lose this and this and this if this happened? It's just general questions to get the person making sure they're thinking about the dilemma from all sides. And... Through the questioning and the talking and the answers from the questions, the the clarity starts to appear for the person. And it's um, – so it's a major like part of the dialogue theory mm-hmm. and how we learn to create solutions with other people by dialoguing. So that's, yeah. that's all you're saying is let in some space, some time, which is hard when a guy is saying, say, give me your pass, give me your pass. Mm-hmm. Or in the subway saying, give me your tokens, give me your token. But up in uh, the real world, if we can create some space and then let some more light in, get some more people yeah, in. Yeah, I love that example. I'm going to take that Clearing to the Clearing committees. Man. Go check it That's out. Good. It really is. Quakers, <laughs> they were doing it right there. Let me give you one more yeah. takeaway that's practical. When we face an ethical dilemma, sometimes we're looking for uh, – sometimes we assume there's an either or. Right. We either So I either give the guy my pass or I tell him, you're a scum, leave me alone. And we don't see another path. Right. One of the most brilliant answers I've gotten from a student on that particular dilemma, they said, well, what I would do is I would say to my boss, you know what? I appreciate so much what you've done for me. Let me buy your pass today. It's a token for me. I just want to show you how much I appreciate what you do. Interesting. So it's a creative way to honor your values and extract yourself from that dilemma. But now it's costing you. Yeah, you have to, uh, but if you're paying for your morality, you're paying for your integrity. If you're not willing to pay for your values, they're not values. Because when we were throwing it around, one of the things that first came up is we'd all just make an excuse. So we'd all just lie to get out of our ethical dilemma. Mm-hmm. It's a very common. It example. seems like we're digging a deeper hole. Well, yes. <laughs> um, uh, like I'm going to come back. You know, I would let you use it yeah. for sure, but I'm coming back in about 20 minutes. You know, and I, I'm yeah, I'm very aware I'm on public ra- public radio yeah. right now, answering this way. But uh, I think having you know worked through these dilemmas with a lot of students, there may be times when um, when finessing yeah, the, the truth. truth. Uh, is the appropriate thing to do for the sake of a relationship uh-huh. or for the sake of a higher purpose. Yeah. So do I look um, fat in these jeans? You look great, man. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> but you're lying. You liar. Your ethics are shot. But it's true, huh? I mean, because really there, there might be a higher thing than truth, like compassion, that might be another principle. So that's almost duality between two principles, right? Principles sometimes compete. Yeah. And it's it's agonizing to work through that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's a challenge. It's, so you're not saying lie, but you're saying sometimes you have to just finesse your value. Not your, your value, but finesse how you're speaking and handling it. And how do you know? I guess that's the end of this. How do you know we did it right? Because there's not always a right answer. But there's there's probably a right answer in your heart. Yeah, um, I, and I can't give an easy answer to that no, question. Fine. But I think one of the one of the litmus tests for that is um, as you reflect back on it, 
um, a couple of days later, are you comfortable that you did the best you could in that situation? And if you have regret, then you've learned something and maybe you'll do better next time. Um, But uh, if, if you can look back on that and say it was a difficult situation, I didn't see the a positive way out of it. I reflected. I consulted my values. I, I counseled with people, and I came up with the best solution I know how. It wasn't ideal, but it got me through, and I feel like it's the best I could do. And I think you move ahead. I think you're right. And um, so it's the uh, – so much of that, it's the what would Jesus kind of do mm-hmm. question. But see, that's a question. And you you talked about having the right questions. I mean, it seems like because if I ask what's most efficient here, or what's easiest here, that's different than what what would my higher self tell me to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess we kind of need to know if we're here to be efficient, or if we're here to yeah. just be effective. I think efficiency is a fair question to totally. ask. Um, our ethics need to be practicable. You know, they need to right. they need to work in the real world. Right. And so, efficiency matters. Effectiveness matters. Uh, there, there's really no end to questions Mm-mm. that you can consider as you're facing an ethical dilemma. And it's not a black and white, and it's not a right or wrong, is it? It's just kind of. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I guess some could be black. There and are white. black and whites. You know, yeah. your your boss asks you to uh, to falsify documents to bury a body. Uh, to bury a body. <laughs> if your boss asks you to bury a body. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> right. And and if you come into my classroom and you don't know how to handle that one, there's not much I can <laughs> yeah, do for you. Yeah, what can I do for you? But it's the right versus right moments yeah. that are really challenging to us. Isn't that – yeah, you'd think that that would just be, okay, whatever. Either one's good. Mm-hmm. But we kind of build it into something even bigger, don't we? Like this is life or death. This mm-hmm. is – because if I don't take this job, I, what, I might not get another job and that's right. hard. Yeah. Big, big deal. About the integrity and – um. How do you get – I mean, like, how do you sense we build that? How do you get more clarity? What questions would lead us to more clarity on integrity? You know, integrity, we often define it as honesty, and that's really doing a disservice to the word. That's right. part of integrity. But integrity, if you look in the dictionary, it means completeness, wholeness, yeah. like a building has integrity. And so I think we need to think pretty broadly about integrity. The The, the threats to our integrity is when we get comfortable – um, being different people in different places. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And for that reason, I I have a strong conviction that what you choose to do for work matters. I love that, yeah. If, if you're doing work that is alien to your personality, to your values, uh-huh. then you're getting yourself in the habit of becoming a different person when you walk into the office. Which is probably why you hate going to the office. You do. Because you're, you're out of integrity. And I've lived there. I, I've lived that yeah. stage of my life when it was that way. And I found I was less of a father. Hmm. I was less of a husband because when I came home, I had to jerk myself into yeah. another role. The work I do now, it feels like it fits me so well that there's a seamless transition almost as I go from home to work. Now, if you get in the habit of turning parts of yourself on and off, you know, by doing work that doesn't really feel like yours to do, right. I'm afraid it's not too much, uh, not too much of a. It, it's a slippery slope to start getting used to turning on and off values in those circumstances. Gandhi, as well. Gandhi has a quote that says, um, "You cannot attempt." To be something in one compartment of life that you're not in another compartment of life because life is one indivisible whole. Mm. You can't you can't be duplicitous. You can't segregate who you are. Yeah. You are – I mean you can I guess on the outside. But on the inside, you're going to start fracturing yourself. Right. 
So, and I, I don't, I don't mean that to be too challenging for people who no. are struggling to just, you know, make a living at, at what job they're they're blessed to have. But I, I think we should all be on a quest to try to make our uh, to allow our real values shine in our workplace, to right. bring a piece of ourselves to it, so that we don't get in the habit of changing our identities from context to context. I love that. That's a. Uh... Uh, that's the vocation being an avocation kind of a thing, yeah. a kind of a calling, huh? Exactly. Um, what I mean, that's interesting because you wouldn't – I guess we do that everywhere. I mean I guess when, as soon as it's easy for you to lie to get out of something, that should be an indicator. You know what I mean? As soon as you notice that you're, the lies no longer bother you, that's a problem. <laughs> That's a moment when you've crossed some line. <laughs> I right. think, or the, you know, when you're burying a body, that doesn't bother you either. <laughs> that means your ethics have been compromised. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing, and you don't want to make it too heady. You know, you don't want to just make this this scholarly thing. This is a very real personal thing that can be played out every day in your home with your kids. How do you? How do you, as a as an ethics professor? What do you teach your children? Like, how do you get this ingrained in their heads? Something so ethereal. How do you get it down? Yeah, I don't talk ethereal to them. Yeah, you can't. About ethics. I try to challenge them to think. Um, Like I said earlier, I try not to give easy answers but guide them through a thought process. I'm not sure to what extent I succeed at that because like any dad, I want to fix everyone's problems at home. Um, But uh, helping them to be thoughtful is one of the best tools I can give them to prepare them for life, to not lead them to believe that uh, they've got it all figured out. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of nice – like even as we were were talking about these dilemmas today, it was nice – because it puts you on edge like, what What would I really – I mean it really makes you think what would you do? Where, how would you play this? So maybe that's one thing you can do with your kids is give them some ethical dilemmas. Throw them out there. So here's a scenario. Do you do this or do you do this? Yeah. What would you do? And then talk it out. I think we do that with our kids on the simple things. Like, you know, someone offers you drugs. Yeah, we don't. And do we that. teach people to say no to drugs. We yeah. teach kids. And that's that's black and white. That's very important training because it mm-hmm. gets them in the habit of practicing those responses. Yeah. But maybe we need to do more with uh, scenarios where you say, let's say you have a friend that you really like and you've been friends with for a long time and you want to be loyal to them. But now they're starting to do things you don't agree with. Yeah. Are you going to stay their friend? Are you going to try to be a good example how do you work through that that's yeah. something they're, they're going to face and that's that's more challenging i love that um to to work your children through but it's a better preparation for the thorniness of real life problems and it's um think of just the, the it seems like the world's getting more complex like it seems like um it, it almost maybe it never was this simple maybe that's just how i see it but the choices there's so many more choices so i mean yeah i'm not i'm not doing drugs. I'm just downloading some files. Relax, dad. <laughs> Relax. Everybody's doing it. Yeah, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you have. Um, but it's interesting because, it, it, I mean, those are obvious wrongs. Mm-hmm. But we then, I guess we can categorize one as not so wrong in comparison to another. Yeah. I didn't murder a guy. Yeah. And, you know, part of becoming an ethical person, this might sound ironic, is learning to make mistakes yeah. and learn from them. And so, um, if uh, if we if we don't allow our children to learn from ethical mistakes on that smaller scale, then it might be on the bigger scale down the road, oh, yeah. and we're too late to have influence. So, I guess them. one rule as a parent is make it safe. Make it safe to learn 
mm-hmm. from mistakes, from moments. And I mean, I guess some of that, too, is keeping it personal, too. I mean, some of these mistakes our kids are making are private. So we don't need to make it a family issue. But privately, let's go sit down and this is a private one. Not everyone needs to know about it. Here's what we could learn here. And let them do the learning. And I guess one of the best ways to do that, you're saying, too, is just questions. Almost get really good at asking the questions instead of giving the advice. When people express an opinion or an idea, they're much more committed to it than if they're told it. So if we can get our kids to articulate principles themselves – you know, they then they've got it. Yeah. And so it's only through asking questions, you know, setting aside the preaching long enough to see if they've already learned the lessons themselves. Yeah. That's powerful parenting. And then if they haven't learned it, you just keep beating them down emotionally with it, right? <laughs> well, that's one approach. <laughs> that's one. It doesn't work so well, but that's a good one. Well, I appreciate you being here, Dr. Jeff Thompson. Um, give us one more challenge. What's the one thing? The one thing that makes the big a big difference in managing our ethical dilemmas, even if we have to go back and repeat it. Hmm. The one thing is uh, deciding who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to root it in a sense of identity because the world does change around us. Yeah. And that's for me, whenever I find myself adrift, in fact, I keep a little list in my on my iPhone that I read every day of my identities, this the things you. that I am. And I try to remind myself of that every day, and that becomes my core. And when I find myself slipping, I remember, oh, yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm Amy's husband. That's right. I'm my children's father. Father, I love that. Uh, I, I represent son of God. Something. That's um, to thine own self be true, right? That's mm. the spirit. That's the principle. And I guess, too, in the end, um, you have to live with yourself. That's going to make – that's the that's the I only guess, the person prison. you're guaranteed, be, guaranteed to be with all your life. That's exactly right. Dr. Jeff Thompson's an associate professor at Brigham Young University. Uh, Doc, if they want to get a hold of you, is there an email they can reach you at? Yeah, it's easy. It's jeff underscore thompson at byu.edu. Awesome. Good stuff. We will have Dr. Jeff back, I promise, to talk more about ethics uh, later on this year. Thanks. Uh, we'll be back after this break, everybody. You're on the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. NASA is researching how to make a real working tractor beam. Stay tuned, or we'll just pull you back in. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Tractor beams that can attract objects at a distance are a longtime staple of science fiction stories, but up till now have only been fictional concepts. A NASA program to explore visionary new ideas is funding a concept based on particle sampling technology, which basically does work like the science fiction tractor beam using special lasers. The NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts, or NIAC program, supports radically new and creative ideas, which could revolutionize spaceflight a decade from now, like the tractor beam, which is really called optical trapping. Instead of grabbing entire spaceships or asteroids, the system, which is composed of specially tuned laser beams, aims to grab and return individual molecules of gas and dust through space, and even through atmosphere, to a robotic probe. They'd replace robotic arms and let a probe sample something like a comet from a safe distance. The NIAC team has three types of optical trapping theories to test, and if it can pull in some results, the best candidates could advance the hardware prototypes within a decade. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. 
Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. There's an answer to every question, a solution to every problem. What place should the provision of education or health care occupy on the list of social and political priorities? Join a group of leading scholars and experts in the conversation about practical and constructive solutions to today's societal issues. BYU's weekly forum shares motivating and inspiring ideas on the present and future of our world today. Join us on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking about ethical dilemmas and how to manage um, our integrity, our personal integrity as we go through life. And uh, as we wrap up the show, we're going to hear a little bit of a story here from one of our producers, Madison. She's going to share her experiences about, you know, maybe a little ethical dilemma that ended up shaping her personal sense of integrity. Oh, come on. It's just a pair of sunglasses. What harm can it do? At some point or another, we have all thought something similar. Now, given it might have been when you were a child, or it was just a passing thought, but everyone has felt the slight temptation to take something. When I was six, my family took a day trip to Lake Tahoe. We saw the sights, smelled the smells, and our last stop was to look around a little gift shop. One thing in particular that caught my eye was these beautiful little stones. They're the type where you can pick 20 or so, put it in a bag, and pay $5 for these to put in a vase or some decorative piece. I saw a deep blue one, and boy, did I want it. I asked my parents if I could get it, but of course they did not really realize to what extent that I wanted it, so they just said, no, sweetie, and just continued on looking. I really wanted that stone. So I remember glancing around, I made sure no one was looking, and I pocketed the stone. Most kids would steal a candy bar, a toy, something to that extent, but for me, it was that stone that was probably only about five cents. After that, I hurried on back to the car, sat down, and we went home. The four and a half hours back to my house were the longest of my life. My guilt was terrible. I was so humiliated, and I knew that I had done a very, very bad thing. I actually felt a bit nauseous. My mother could tell that there was something wrong, but I refused to tell her. I've never told a soul until now, and this is on national radio, but whatever. And this secret tormented me for quite a while. The worst part is that I knew that we cannot just go back the next day and return it like you could if it was something from a toy store or a grocery store, and that it would be another year until I could make it right again. When I got home, I set it in the corner drawer of my desk and vowed that I would never steal again. While now I can look back and laugh, I still felt bad about it until I was about 14. All that guilt for eight years over a five-cent stone. This imbued me with an importance of integrity. I knew that not only would I feel terrible if I did something wrong, but also a reason why I did not tell my mom is because I did not want to lose her trust. Now, when I was 15, I started to work at a retail store. It was a small boutique, and there was only one person working at a time. We had access to inventory and the money, so as an employee, it would have been a piece of cake to have taken anything and to have gotten away with it. The owners placed a huge amount of trust in the workers, and I did not take that lightly. 
If a thought about taking a piece of clothing or money ever happened to cross my mind, I quickly brushed it aside and never gave it a second thought because of how much I valued my boss's trust in me and my personal sense of integrity. I believe that valuing integrity and making ethical decisions in your personal life and at work will lead to a healthier, happier you. That's Madison Allred, our resident jewel thief, <laughs> sporting a beautiful blue uh, jewel from... I was wondering why you wore that all the time. So that's interesting. You came out on the radio. You. This is the first time you've brought this up. Yeah. Well, it's never really come up before. But yeah, I was really ashamed of it when I was younger. Yeah. And because, you know, if anyone's like, oh, did you ever steal something from the store? Nope. Did you notice that there's some police outside now waiting? (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting. And uh, we'll go to Jeff, Dr. Jeff Thompson. Um, It's interesting how she realized very quickly that this was an integrity thing. Yeah, one of the dead giveaways is the need for secrecy. And, you know, going back to your earlier question, if you feel like you need to hide something, then that's that's probably a good indication. Isn't that interesting? And look at you now. You're not you're you got it. You're not stealing clothes from <laughs> no. your employment. You haven't stolen anything from here <laughs> yet. No, yet. I'm, just I'm just brand new. But really, uh, it's it's got to feel it's got to feel pretty good. Well, yeah, I just know that's really important to me, you know, and because I just felt that guilt mm-hmm. over just a little stone. Yeah, I actually still have it. Yeah. And I just whenever I look at it, I just it's always a reminder just to do the right thing. Some people have different rings or whatever that yeah. they wear. For me, it's that stone. That's from my when car. I was six. Mine's the car. Every time I go to the car, I stole. Out in the parking lot, I think I really got to stop doing that. <laughs> it's just a jewel, though, isn't it? But it made such a big deal. Oh, well, it's just even like an iridescent little stone yeah. thing. I don't know why I liked it so much. See, that's why. It's a pretty why color, but. It is, that's why Skylar only stole candy because he could eat it and dispose of the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was when I was a kid. We had a uh, we got to wrap up. We had a guy show up at our door uh, about ten to fifteen years after he had broken in and stolen some silver coins out of my mom's. And he was he had he was wanted to go on an LDS mission and needed to come clean. Wow. And he shows up at the door, knock knock knock, and he says, "Look, I just got to let you know, I stole your coins." And he wrote a check to my mom. Or the money. So uh, I guess whether it happens now or later, the key is eventually to get back into integrity. Folks, that's it. Ethical dilemmas. Maybe the fastest way through it is not to work on everything outside of you, but get in your heart and be true to uh, what is going on in your heart and, uh, and in your spirit. So thanks for listening. We will be back again tomorrow with more help, a leg up in this thing we call life. Thanks for listening to the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.